Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome. It's another edition of the Prospect Handbook Podcast here at Baseball America. I'm J.J. Cooper, joined every week as we are uh, by Ben Badler, who's hunkered down in his uh, July 2 International Signing Day bunker. Uh, and... Uh, and thankfully is uh, able to take the time to, to join us today. Before we get started, though, we're going to talk of prospects as we always do. We're going to talk a little bit of fantasy. We're going to talk about um, baseball and also talk a little bit taking your questions. But before we do, we want to remind you that DraftDay.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money. The concept is simple. You pick the day you want to play and set a fantasy lineup. If your picks perform well that day, you win. You can play for free or real money, and they award cold hard cash nightly to the top performing players. They've already awarded over $10 million, and it's completely legal to play. DraftDay.com has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to BA listeners, to, so be sure to head to DraftDay.com and enter promo code BA Podcast, and they'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BA Podcast. Thanks again to our sponsors at DraftDay.com. Again, I'm JJ, joined by Ben, and we're going to talk prospects as we always do. Kind of dive in right into it today, Ben. How are you doing? And uh, kind of, I'll ask you an open-ended question, which is. We want to talk a little bit today about prospects who were now about a really kind of about a uh, in between a third and the fourth, you know, more than a fourth, a little less than a third of the way through the season. So we've had a little chance to build up some games now and all. Ben, you know, who are some guys who've stood out to you as far as guys who've actually raised their stock? Who, if you're talking to scouts now, they're 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 guys who are uh, a little bit more impressed with these guys now than maybe they were when the season started. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a, a bunch of guys who really caught the attention of a lot of scouts this year, more so than they did in the past. Um, you know, one of them with, with the Red Sox is uh, Garen Cicchini, guy who just uh, just has a really good knack for hitting, really good idea of the strike zone, and, and now some of that extra base power is starting to come along with, with him too. Um, you know, he's, he's not a burner either, but he's he's got really good instincts on the bases, and I, I just think that the bat, the quality of his bat is 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 a lot. We, we I think we always knew that he was a good hitter, but I think he's he's even better uh, than we had thought before. And I think that eventually it's you know you're starting to see more power from him, and I think eventually you're you're going to see uh, even more from him uh, down the road. No, I, I agree. I think the power is the thing that that's really stood out with Chikini because that was to me the the really the the question that you did have is okay, how much of that is going to come out? And what we've seen this year is is it, it really is showing up. And that's it's always, you know, the, the old adage is power is the last thing to show up. It, it's showing up, actually in his case, still still reasonably early. So I'll take your Chikini, and I'll, I'll kind of respond back. I'm, I'm going to respond back with a guy. I mean, this is not a uh, an off-the-radar guy by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think, we've talked about him on the podcast before, I think Francisco Lindor, 
who came into the season as an elite prospect, I think he's more elite, more an elite prospect now. I think him and Archie Bradley are two guys who jump out to me, um, who are at least in that top ten to top ten prospects discussion now. And I don't think they were at the start of the season. With Lindor, you're talking about, you know, plus defense, but he's really shown. There's a, 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 we just talked about Chikini. There's a feel for hit there as well, you know, and I think that there's going to be power there as well. There's not a whole lot of uh, home run power right now, but I, I do think that that's going to come down the road, especially as he gets a little older. He's still very young, but he's torn up the uh, the Carolina League. You kind of wonder if he if he may end up kind of forcing the uh, the Indians to speed him up a little bit and at some point maybe even move him on up to double-A this year because uh, of just how well he's played in the uh, for the Mudcats in the early going this year. Okay, so that's one from me. That's one from you. I'll send it back to you again for another one. So, Ben, who's who's someone else who's, who's stood out to you in the early going? Well, looking at guys on the mound, I think there's, there's three guys who, um, you know, I think we liked as prospects coming into the year, but even so – They've just taken another step forward. Um, you know, one guy we talked about on the podcast before was Danny Salazar. Um, you know, the, the fastball really took a giant leap up last year. He wasn't a guy who was on the radar much bef- coming in the coming into last year because he was hurt a lot. The performance was okay, but nothing great. You know, I think he's still got to show he can he can manage a, a full season starter's workload and, and show that he's durable. Um, but you know, for about 40 innings or his first eight starts, he's been he's been outstanding. Um, I, I think he's really taken a step forward. Uh, Rafael DePaul is another guy who, I mean, for <laughs> for what four or five years now, we've we've been talking about him as you know potentially one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, and uh, but he just hasn't been able to either get his contract approved or, or get, I mean, MLB suspended him when he didn't even sign a contract or go through any registration process, which pretty sure if he had challenged that somehow, I think he would have, <laughs> he would have won that. Cause I don't understand how MLB can suspend a player who isn't under a contract and hasn't gone through any <laughs> registration process with the league. So now they use the word, you know, ineligible to sign. And I do have the registration process. So, um, okay, fine. But regardless, I mean, the guy has incredible talent, um, especially given his experience level. I don't think he belongs in low A. I think he's proven that. Uh, but you know, he's showing that the stuff is is good enough, certainly to overpower low A hitters. I think it's going to translate uh, much higher, too. Uh, but another couple of guys, too, uh, or another guy who's jumped out to me is, is Carlos Contreras uh, with the Reds. You know, a guy who coming into, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't think we we really knew much about him, and I don't think the Reds even really treated him as uh, much of a prospect. But they, you know, last year he, we kind of heard more about him because he, he was throwing a lot harder, um, and that got him a lot of attention. But this year, with the you know the role change, I think that's really something that's <laughs> you know maybe he's not just a reliever. I think before we thought, all right, well, this is a guy who could pitch, you know, maybe be a, a middle reliever. Or maybe maybe a potential closer. I don't know. It's hard to say when a guy's already, you know, a reliever in in a low A and in since rookie ball. But this year, <laughs> they're putting him in in a really tough league for pitchers in the Cal League, and the, he's been he's been outstanding. 
No, he has. And, uh, I mean, one and four, don't, he's on the worst team in baseball. So win-loss record doesn't mean much normally. And that Bakersfield club this year means nothing. 3.4 ERA, 42 innings, 27 hits, uh, 13 walks, 52 strikeouts. Five home runs allowed. Don't worry about that also. He's playing in the Cal League. He's already had a start in Lancaster this year. It's really been a, an excellent start of the season for him. As you mentioned, you know, he's made eight eight start eight appearances, eight starts this year. He hadn't made a start since 2010 before this year. He was number 13 prospect on our uh, Reds Top 30 coming into the year based entirely on his stuff because normally, I, I can't tell you the last time I, I you know put a, a a reliever in a ball that high up on the list. Um, but that, that move to the rotation this year has made a, a big difference because he's shown that he can handle it. Now we got to see, as you just mentioned, you know, with, with Salazar, we got to see if he can keep doing it because that's a big question now. But what you've seen is, is up to now it's looking good. And the stuff has, has maintained, he's maintained the stuff in the rotation like he did as a reliever, 92, 96, Good breaking ball. The changeup kind of is, uh, you know, maybe the uh, a little bit further behind right now. But but that's again for a 22 year old kind of moving into the rotation in high A in the Cal League. That's an excellent season, and he's definitely kind of higher on the radar now than he was when the season started. I, I'm gonna keep kind of going on the pitcher uh, group. Another guy we've mentioned before on the podcast, Alex Wood with the Braves. Left-hander from the uh, from last year's draft, who's moved really, really quickly. Uh, basically, got a very aggressive assignment to start the season at Double uh, A Mississippi, which doesn't happen very often, especially when you talk about a guy in Wood's case. Uh, we've talked about it. He's power arm lefty. You, I, I think you may have mentioned Singrani in the past with him, or I know Matt Eddy did uh, on a prospect hot sheet. Because like Singrani, he's a, a lefty. His delivery is not exactly conventional, and he, he gets a lot of swings and misses with the fastball. But right now, uh, Wood two and two, 0.82 ERA, and eight starts at Double A Mississippi. You know, 44 innings, 31 hits, 11 walks, 45 Ks. He's in Double A right now. I know they've got J.R. Graham. I know that you know they've got Brandon Beachy coming back. And, and when that happens, Wood moves one step down on the. Uh, on the depth chart, but I, I really do believe that if the the Braves needed someone to come up and make make a spot start right now, uh, I think the best guy they have to do that isn't J.R. Graham. It's not Sean Gilmartin, both of whom are uh, you know came into the season ranked higher on the Braves list than Wood. I think Alex Wood is the guy who could do that. The it's an ugly delivery. It's not conventional, but he throws strikes with it. And uh, you know if you can do that, uh, hey. You know, we'll see how long his long-term health, you know, if, if, if the delivery is conducive to staying healthy. But as far as throwing strikes, he, he manages to do it despite an, an unconventional delivery. Yeah, I think the deception with him also helps him play up a lot. It's, you know, it's kind of a – everybody wants a nice, smooth delivery. But at the same time, there's – you know, ideally you'd want him to have a, you know, you don't want a guy having a lot of effort in his delivery, but at the same time, you know, if there are a lot of, if there's some herky jerkiness to it, sometimes that, that helps the deception. I think especially for, you know, a left-handed pitcher, that's important to be able to, to disrupt guys timing and, and keep guys off balance. Absolutely. And again, the, the, the thing that he has like Singrani is, is if you're a left-hander who throws 95, lefties are not going to get a whole lot of comfortable swings on you, especially when you throw into deceptive delivery. 
and so uh, that's just a, a weapon, especially as a starting pitcher. You just don't see a whole lot of guys who can do that, even in the big leagues. Um, I, I did kind of want to ask you: do, do you think you know we've talked about some of these, uh, you know, some of these breakout guys, or, or not even breakout guys in some cases, but guys who are who have definitely improved their stock over the uh, the first uh, couple of you know month and a half now of the season? Would you put George Springer in that category too, the uh, Astros outfielder? You know, he's he's been more. <laughs> I, I I like what he does in in some ways. Obviously, tools wise, it's you know the the ability to hit for power and the speed that he brings and play a premium position. Um, the strikeout still, <laughs> I still think there's a lot of holes in that swing uh, that are concerning. But that said, I thought he would get to double A and, and he might be a guy who would struggle. And the strikeouts are still high, but. You know, obviously, when you're getting on base, almost a 400 clip, and yeah, I think he's got, got what 12, 13 home runs, runs now, now already. Yeah, so uh, you know he he's been better than I expected at this point. I, I think that if, if there's a way that he can close uh, some of those holes in his swing, tighten the strike zone a little bit, yeah, you know he might <laughs> he he might just be a guy who's who's better than I than I think, but and and he he has been I think to this point. But ultimately, I, I think I'm I'm still worried about how often he swings and misses, and, and how that might work against better pitching. Kind of along those lines, there are a lot of fascinating guys on the uh, Hickory Crawdads, but and they're fascinating in a lot of different reasons. Like if you look at the Crawdads lineup right now, which this is not shocking going into the season, considering we knew how much how many tools and how much power this this lineup had, but. Okay, so you got Nick Williams there, seven home runs. Jorge Alfaro, nine home runs. Lewis Brinson, eight home runs. Ryan Rua, nine home runs. Joey Gallo, 11 home runs. Joe Maloney, don't really need to worry about him too much, but six home runs. Nomar Mazzara, four home runs. ton of guys with power in that lineup. I'm not going to read you the uh, strikeout numbers for some of these guys, though, because it, it might, you know, we're, we're, I think we have the, uh, that this is a uh, safe for all, you know, family podcast and, and, that might actually violate it, and we need an explicit tag because you know you got like Lewis Brinson striking out 65 times in 37 games, and and Joey Gallo 57 times in 37 games. Do you are you surprised at all with kind of what we've seen with Hickory this year, or is this kind of what you expected that we would see? Lots of power, lots of K's. Yeah, I mean those for whatever reason that seems to be <laughs> they seem to be drafting and a, a lot of those kind of guys. You know, obviously, you know I love Joey Gallo's power, but you just can't swing and miss that much against the low A pitching, and I expect that to be something that works against more advanced pitchers. I mean, you know, we talk about like you said, you know, power is often the last tool that comes around, but a lot of these guys, it's you know, huge power now, but it's. It's not like the power is going to get that much better. They they have power. I don't think there's any question about that with guys like Gallo and and Brinson and and Mazzara. But uh, the the holes in the swing and just don't. It's just not conducive to being able to you know hit more advanced pitching to be able to cover the plate. Um, you know I know everybody is is looking for for power. It's not like we were seeing in the in the the height of the steroid era where it was, it was maybe easier to acquire but you know these guys you know looking at them projecting long term it's it's hard to see 
how these approaches and how these swings are going to fit and against you know higher level pitching when they have to face these guys as they as they move up. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where when you have power like that, I, I do think that you have to be patient with it because I, I had a, a scout say to me recently. He said, you know, I, I think one of the things that there's an industry we do often is to kind of give up maybe a little too soon on guys who have that kind of power because you're going to see a lot of times that what happens is is in a ball they end up you know he was talking more about the rolling over on the slider you know on the outside that they try to yank that kind of thing more than the case but he said some of these guys take a little while you know one example i've been given is is you know mark trumbo had to repeat you know a a ball low a before he kind of got it going so you have to be patient with these guys and there's often a reason to be patient because as you mentioned, there's so much less power in the game now than there was, say, 10 years ago, that if you can develop one of these guys, it's worth kind of sorting through the four or five guys that you can't. So, you know, that to me, there is there is definitely uh, uh, some reason to be patient there. The guy who stands out to me as far as of that group who, who I'm most encouraged by is Jorge Alfaro, partly because as a catcher, if he hits 240 with power and ends up, you know, smoothing out some of his receiving issues because he's got a cannon of an arm. He could, he, there's less of a, a floor. There's a less of a, uh, there's more, I guess, uh, room for kind of some, some issues with the bat there than there is in a case of a guy like Gallo, who, you know, first that's proving he can play third base, but if not, he ends up at say first base. And that ends up being a, uh, uh, you know, uh, a position where uh, I don't care how much power you're hitting for. If you're hitting 230, they're probably looking to replace you. You're 230, 300, even if you're 500. Um, but but to me, Alfaro is the guy. Which guy of this group to you stands out as the guy that you're you're most bullish on long term? Yeah, I'd probably say I think that's fair with Alfaro. I see him as a guy who I think he will play in the big leagues, but as a as a starter, I could see him as a guy who bounces around a lot as a you know a backup, kind of maybe like a rock. Barajas type of guy who, you know, a very aggressive approach, has some power. Uh, um, I'm not sure that he has what it takes to be an, an everyday defensive catcher, or if he is your everyday guy, uh, it wouldn't be ideal for you. I, I, you know, I do, uh, I'm not really wild about, about any of those guys. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't like Mazar's swing. I've always heard questions about him, his, uh, his, tendency to swing and miss and I don't think the mechanics are, are conducive to uh to hitting more advanced pitching the, the one thing with Ga- I think Gallo's power is is probably the biggest of that group and I think that you know you're right it, there are you, you do have to be patient obviously with all of these guys but you know you like Paul Goldschmidt was a guy who swung and missed a lot um when he was an A ball and, and he cut down on some of those holes in his swing um, and his bat. Ever since he got to Double A, he's really taken off. Um, I, you know, the guy I would take the chance on. Yeah, I could see Alfaro, but but I do like Gallo, even if he can't play uh, third base of that group. Um, I just think his power is is beyond the other guys, and just has a. It's going to be a lot of swinging and missing, uh, but the the power that he has is, is above the other guys. If, if I had to roll the dice on one of them, I guess it would be him, but 
on on all of them <laughs> it's just hard to see the, the approach and the swings that they have working against much better pitching well kind of another guy along those lines we're now we're kind of rolling kind of jumping into guys who in the first couple of months of the season have uh have maybe opened up more questions than they had when the season started uh, a guy kind of along the lines of what you're talking about of gallo i don't think he has gallo's power but courtney hawkins i know he's gotten injured recently but you're talking about a guy who before the injury was the really he wasn't even a three outcomes guy it was basically home run or strikeout it seemed like almost every time uh, hawkins stepped to the plate is how much to you to you know do you think this is a, a high school draftee from last year being sent to high a which is you know really aggressive for a uh, for a high school outfitter and how much of this is is kind of leads to concerns to you about his approach long term and, and kind of uh, oh, maybe he's not the prospect that, that we thought he was when the uh, when the draft came out. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of each. I mean, you look at him and you look at Addison Russell with the A's, and it's just I don't understand why either of those guys are in <laughs> are, are skipping low A. It's it's not like there's a need to expedite them to the big leagues. You know, with Russell, I guess I can at least see. The way that he dominated um, pro, pro ball initially last year, and and the based on the scouting reports we have on his bat, I guess I could see some desire to push him to high A. You think he can handle it, but right now I don't think it looks like he can. And and with Hawkins, it's it's even it's I, I understand it even less because <laughs> coming out of high school, I mean there were there are questions about. You know his swing getting along, and his you know his strikeouts and and some of the effort in his swing. Um, so I'm not really sure what either of those guys are are doing at the levels that they're at. But I'm I'm more concerned with Hawkins because you know like you said I, I don't think it's just that he's in high A as a a 19 year old. I don't think it's just that he's overmatched, which well he is overmatched. But I don't think it's just because of his youth and, and the level that he's at, I think that there's very <laughs> legitimate concerns about his pitch recognition, about the length in his, his swing. I remember seeing him in, in high school uh, briefly, and I, I thought the same thing when I saw him. But it, even if you put him down in, in low A, which is where I think he belongs, I think he'd still see uh, a lot of these same issues coming out with him. Right, and, and that's one of those things where <laughs> – it, once you send a guy with an aggressive assignment like that, it, it's one of those. It, it's a tough call for a farm director when the season, uh, you know, is is kind of when you're getting going, and like, okay, so where do we send these guys? But it's even tougher once you do that because I've had a lot of farm directors tell me one of the worst things they they hate to do is is to have to move a guy back down because a lot of times it feels like they feel like that that you you end up almost losing a year that year. Because you, you do that, and the player often, it takes a little while to kind of pull out of that. That, uh-oh, I failed. I, I, I thought I was ready for that level. I'm not. And you hope what happens then is, is that they basically take it, they learn from it, and they go, okay, here's what I need to fix. But a lot of times, it takes a while to get to that point. And the first part of it is, is kind of getting it's it's just that realization of oh I failed and, and kind of it takes a while to get through that part first and I, you know I, I don't know with with to me 
of the two, I understood with Russell. I, I feel like that the what happened kind of there with the uh, with the A's is is that they had a couple of shortstops, and they thought, okay, what we're going to do is is we're going to send Russell to to high A because he he did get it was it was you know it wasn't even twenty games, but he got some time in low A last year and he did well, and I think the idea being. Hey, he's going to the Cal League, and so even if the levels may be a little too aggressive for him, the Cal League itself will kind of cover some of that up, because when you have some games in uh, in High Desert or Lancaster or places like that, you know you may you may be hitting 260, and that really isn't doing all that great if you're 260, you know, 310, 400 in the Cal League. That's not very good, but it still looks okay. And as he kind of gets caught up to the league. You, you won't have that that crisis of confidence. Obviously, it's not worked out that well for for uh, for Russell or the A's. I mean, he's not hitting nearly that well. He's 174, 300, 339 after uh, nearly 30 games. I, I think with Hawkins, to me, I know that they ended up sitting him to high at the end of last year to kind of help with the uh, you know playoff race and all there for Winston-Salem last year. But to me, that one is, is even a little bit more puzzling just from the standpoint of, unlike Russell... You're, you're sending him to the Cal League. There's a lot of tough places to hit in the Cal League. And you are talking about, again, a guy who, in Russell's case, it's the defense and the bat you're talking about. In, in Hawkins' case, the bat's going to be really the uh, the key for him going forward. You're, you're asking him probably to do a little bit more than maybe he was ready to do. And in, in Hawkins' case especially, I do wonder if this is going to end up needing to lead to him being sent back to uh, to low A. And if that happens, you know, that, that could be kind of a, a, a lost season. Now, I, I've talked to some guys. I've gone out to see Hawkins play at Winston-Salem, talked to, you know, the, the coaching staff there and all, and, and they feel like he's kept a pretty good attitude about it. He's been very receptive to, to making some adjustments and all. But but it, it's that's going to be a, a very tough turnaround to ask him to kind of turn that around at the, at the high A level. Does anyone else jump out to you as, as far as guys who uh, – who, in the early going, have have kind of uh, hit a much rockier patch than what you expected? Yeah, well, the, we were talking about Russell in the Cali, the one guy in the Cali that, I mean, I thought he, I, I can't, I, I would never have thought he would have had this much trouble there, is Trevor Story with the Rockies. This is a guy who is just a really, really good, or I thought was a really good all-around player, guy who, you know, the, the strikeouts are, you know, or were, you know, a little high last year. But, you know, he, he ha- he's a guy who has good bat speed. Um, you know, he uses the whole, whole field. He, you know, sometimes he'll get a little pull conscious. But, uh, um, you know, he's he's got some pop in his bat. Just a very solid all-around player. Uh, but this year, pretty much nothing has gone right. And this is in the Cal League where you think even if you're struggling a little bit, You'd see some power, but he's got one home run on the year. Uh, the strikeouts are up. He's he's not hitting. Um, I I don't know what to to make of it. But that to me is is I mean you put Courtney Hawkins in high A. Yeah, I would have expected him to struggle. I might have expected him to struggle in low A. Um, you know this is Trevor. You know Trevor Story last year. Asheville's a good hitters park, uh, but but so is the Cal League, and and he's just a or I thought you know he was going to be a very just a very solid hitter all the way up the minor leagues. And, you know, hopefully for his sake, it's just a bad month 
but I think (laughs) there's a lot of there's a lot of things that have gone wrong for him early on. There's really almost nothing that's gone right. I mean, you, you kind of summed it up. I, mean, he, it, you, you're not seeing the power. You're not seeing a guy who's hitting for average. You're not seeing it. It wasn't like he had a bad stretch. I mean, he's been really, he's struggled all year because we haven't seen any improvement in the power, any improvement really in the average or anything like that. You know, we haven't seen any of that change, uh, you know, in, in May, it's not like it's getting a whole lot better. His, he's striking out a lot. He's not walking a lot. And for a guy who really the bat was going to be his thing, it, it definitely it, it's been a uh, yeah a pretty awful first month and a half for for Trevor Story. Another guy jumps out to me. I, I don't want to keep you know hitting on the Rangers, but but Cody Bakel, just that that's to me. If you said what are some of the more surprising things that have happened in uh, in 2013, the the way that he just completely lost it. I mean, and I hate, I mean, I hate to say that, but it is, I mean, there's no other way to put it. You're talking about a guy who did not have blow you away stuff, but really knows how to pitch really knows how to, uh, you know, to work hitters. And, and this year, you know, now he's an extended spring after uh, six outings, five starts, 28 walks and nine innings. I mean, you, you hate to throw Steve blast disease, but I, I can't think of, of another way to put it. I mean, it's, he lost his delivery. You're, you're not a fan of the you're not a fan of the 27 walks per nine innings. Uh, that's usually a cause for concern to me. Um, you know, there's some numbers I look for. Yeah. You know, I, I like to blend numbers and uh, talking to scouts and scouting information. But um, pretty much the 27 walks per nine over uh, you know not just one outing but over multiple is a sign that there are some issues there to be worked through. And uh, and in his case, I mean, there are some significant issues. I mean, he he walked. More guys in nine innings at Frisco this year than he did in 69 innings at Frisco last year. So, again, this is not a case of a guy being given a too aggressive assignment. He was pretty good in Frisco last year, and they sent him back there to start the season, and it just all fell apart. And that's one of the things where you can't (laughs) – if you tell me that you can find someone, including a a scout or anyone, who can have predicted what happened there, uh, a tip of the cap to him because – I don't think anyone could have projected that this is what was going to happen. Uh, I, the best, I don't know uh, another way to put it. I mean, this is the guy who we had as the best control in the Rangers organization in 2011. And that was an organization that had, you know, uh, a number, a number of control guys. And it, to see what's happened to him, it's, uh, it's sad. I mean, I don't know another way to put it because we, we want guys to succeed. And right now he's got a long way to go to kind of pull it back together and, uh, you know, and, and kind of, Pick thing, pick up pieces, and and hopefully at some point begin showing us again what we saw in 2010, 11, and 12. But yeah, I mean, really, if if you talk about the to me the two biggest surprise disappointments in the minor leagues, and we talked about Trevor Story was a surprise for me, but the two biggest ones I think have both been in the Rangers organization. Uh, you mentioned uh, you know Cody Bakel and. And that really came out of nowhere. Like you said, this is a guy who has good control and has gone to having just no control of anything and just almost out of nowhere. The other guy for me is Mike Olt. Yes. <laughs> and now they're check. They're, they're just they're saying, well, maybe he has vision problems and we're going to check that out. Maybe. Because <laughs> I, I, I don't know what else the answer is. Um, you know, he's a guy who's always had, you know, a. Uh, not an alarming swing and miss rate, but certainly a guy would, you know, it's borderline. 
prone to striking out, but it came with power. Um, you know, the defense at, at third base could be above average too. Uh, really, potentially, I don't know where he's going to play in Texas if he has a future there. But you know, right now, I don't. <laughs> uh, we have bigger concerns than you know where he's going to fit into the Rangers' future lineup. He has to prove that he can hit. <laughs> triple-A pitching right now because his bat has just completely fallen apart. I, I do, with the vision problems there, at least, I mean, to me, if I'm a Rangers fan, that gives me some hope because in this case with Olt, as you said, it's not like he hasn't had swing and miss issues, but it's combined with some really impressive production. You know, so with that, this is kind of, it, the, the start he had to the season kind of felt like it came out of left field. If I'm a Royals fan with Bubba Starling, who also this week, you know, we heard, you know, that he's he's looking at uh, getting Lasix. You you hold up some hope for that, but at the same time, with with Starling, to me, you've seen these swing and miss issues last year, and you've seen kind of he's been on a slow track because of this. So to me, I'm a little less optimistic if I'm a Royals fan watching, hearing that Bubba Starling's getting Lasix, that he's going to come back from this, his vision is going to be better, and then everything's going to be, you know fine and dandy because I think in Starling's case we haven't yet seen that track record to, to build on would would you agree with that yeah I think Holt has you know the much better tracker than, than Starling there's any question about that yeah the other thing too you know you can correct a guy's vision or, or help a guy's vision through through it's not going to cut down on the length of his swing and that's, <laughs> I think that's an issue especially first I mean Holt has a, a longer swing too but he's shown that it's going to work in double-A, and, and he can have a lot of success there. You know, vision is something that can deteriorate pretty quickly um, for somebody. So, you know, maybe that's an issue. Maybe they're just saying, oh, we don't know what's wrong. Maybe it's something with his vision. <laughs> and they're just trying to throw their hands up in the air because they don't know how to how to fix the guy. But with Starling, yeah, I mean, more so than just the vision, maybe that helps his pitch recognition. Yeah, that could help. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on with his vision, but more concerning too is just the the length in his swing and and the inability to cover the plate. You know, maybe maybe the vision can help with some of that in terms of the pitch recognition, but it's it's not going to make his swing any shorter. Right, it's it's one step. There are multiple steps there, so that's kind of step one, and then we'll see from from there. But uh, we did also want to take so we got some some questions here on the podcast. We want to take some of those. Uh, Thanks as always. I'm JJ Coop 36. He's at Ben Badler, so you can hit us up on Twitter and, and we'll try to answer some of the questions. Speaking of kind of guys who've had uh, very solid starts to the season, feeling kind of blue asks, "What do you fellows make of Jock Peterson's hot start in the Southern League? Luck or something to be excited about?" I'm going to answer the really the cop out answer, which is somewhere in between, um, which is you know always kind of uh, uh, hey, it's kind of weenie, I admit, but. But I think Peterson's going to be a solid big leaguer. I don't think he's going to be a star by any stretch of imagination. How, what do you kind of fall on, on Jock Peterson, Ben? Uh, I think it's I think it's a real breakout with him. You're seeing you're seeing more power with him this year than he showed last year when he was in the Cal League. I think that's a very encouraging sign. I think this is just a guy who has natural hitting instinct. Um, you know, he's. Uh, it's it's a guy who uses the whole field. I think he he keeps he's he's got good balance. He keeps his weight back, and if the power starts to come around, which I think it's starting to show now, then yeah, I think you've got a real 
uh, real breakout guy in Peterson. Um, I, I, I really like him a lot. It's going to be fascinating to see what the Dodgers do in their outfield in the years coming, you know, going forward because <laughs> they've already got a very high priced outfield right now. And then you've got Peterson and Puig both in uh, double A. That's, that's going to be lead to a lot of interesting decisions that are going to have to be made. I, I don't know how they're going to work that out myself, but we'll see. Um, Tercet 86, which uh, is Chris Stevens asks us, why are the Jays letting Roberto Osuna pitch through his elbow issue? Why delay the inevitable Tommy John? To catch uh, any listeners up who uh, who may not know, Osuna was you know has had some uh, elbow issues. They're looking at it. They've said basically they're gonna I think believe they're gonna try the the rehab route and let him kind of pitch, and then if that doesn't work, then they'll uh, they'll turn to Tommy John. And I think what uh, what Chris is kind of suggesting is is. I think he's somewhat accurate on this is that usually with these at some point down the road, what you're going to see is a full tear. Um, and so his question is, is kind of why do you kind of let him pitch now? And with the expectation that down the road, you're going to have a, uh, a full tear. Uh, do you have any uh, opinion on that, Ben, on, on kind of what, you know, which way to go? Well, first of all, I mean, I'd be inclined to defer to their medical staff who yeah. <laughs> is going to know a lot more than either of us would about I, I agree the condition on that one of the exactly. And, yeah, you know, you're right. A lot of the times it, it, it does – it is a sign that there might be a Tommy John surgery in the future, and it's a concern about durability, certainly if a guy already has an elbow injury like this. But I don't think it's by any means inevitable – that a guy is going to have Tommy John surgery just because his elbow is barking at him. <laughs> I think there's a lot of guys who have gone through uh, the rehab route and we just don't necessarily think about it or, or remember it because what jumps out to us is when a guy has Tommy John surgery. So I think our, our memories are a little bit selective <laughs> in that regard. So, you know, if the Blue Jays medical staff thinks <laughs> that the best route for him to go is to rehab his elbow Instead of you know forcing him to have Tommy John surgery, which is you know there, there's a good there's a high success rate of it, but it's not an easy process by any means. You're losing a lot of time. And it's they not the best thing for him to guarantee either. John Lamb says hi. Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, it, it's it yeah, it, that's exactly it. I mean, if you can rehab it without having to go through Tommy John surgery, that's the best course of action. There's there's certainly a chance that it rehab or he tries to rehab it. It doesn't work. It costs him a, a couple extra months. And, you know, he, he ends up having to have Tommy John surgery and that delays his return to the mound by a couple of months. Right. But that means that he'll be but, a 19 year old returning to low A at the end of next year, which that's okay. I mean, that's not, you know, yeah. he's very young for the league as it is right now. So, I mean, and, you know, I, I don't want to make light of what, but with John Lamb, you know, this is a guy who was a lefty throw at 92, 90, you know, touching 95 before Tommy John surgery, has Tommy John. And now if you watch him in, you know, in high A, he's he's a high 80s guy. And it it's, again, Tommy John surgery normally works, but it's not a 100% guaranteed, hey, here you go. You're going to have the same arm you had before the surgery every single time. It doesn't work that way. Um, thanks again for the question, Chris. We also have uh, B-S-E-D-I-O, Basidio, I guess, Bryce Sanchez, uh, asks us, 
Francisco Lindor and his impact on Esdrubal Cabrera's job. I think he's talking long-term, I hope, because I don't think uh, Francisco Lindor is going to have anything to do with uh, Cabrera's job in the in the short term. But long-term, he's going to take that job. I think we both agree. Don't we? Yeah. I mean, I think Lindor is the Indian shortstop of the future. Um, it, it, I think it depends on what direction the Indians go in terms of whether they can be a, a playoff contender. I I don't know. It's I'm, I'm not sure if they are going to be this year or not. They've they're they're an improved team from last year. I think that if you know if Trevor Bauer can come up and help them, um, that would be a, a major boost for them. I'm not sure otherwise if they have the starting pitching to to take them to the playoffs. So um, you know, I, I, part of it just depends on whether they're gonna. Uh, keep Cabrera around for a contender? Because I don't think, to me, Lindor, he's not a guy who you're going to bring up next year. And you still have Cabrera under contract for a couple more years. So I think they probably just let him play out his contract. And then when it's done, I think that's when you bring up Lindor. I mean, you could put Lindor in the big leagues tomorrow, and defensively, you would feel great about it. <laughs> I mean, he's I think he's an above average defensive shortstop right now and I think ultimately he's a guy who could hit 300 for you and get on base you know maybe not 400 but but pretty close to it and hit, hit you 10 15 home runs a year but the bat is not that advanced right now to be able to pencil him into the big league lineup in the next couple of years and the unless the strength really comes I think that's going to have an impact on the offensive impact he's going to give you too. Uh, so I, you know, like we talked about, I, I really like Lindor. I think he's if he he might already be in a uh, in our top ten prospects right now when we do our midseason update. He's that good. But to put him into a big league lineup in the next couple of years, you know, maybe 2015, I, I could see. But um, I. Just to, to have him in there, you know, next year, that's probably too soon for me to uh, to see him doing that. But, I, you know, ultimately he is going to be their long-term shortstop of the future. I don't see the Indians being able to, you know, bring back Cabrera on, on a long-term deal when, when they have Lindor coming up, uh, who, who within a few years probably should be ready for the big leagues. Not only that, but I, and I don't see Cabrera being a guy you necessarily want to move because I think a lot of his value – if you you know the logical thing is is okay well it's the guy you want to move to second base well you got Kipnis there they have a whole third base you know because Lonnie Chisinau has not hit as they had hoped but at the same time I don't think you really want us Drupal Cabrera as a third baseman long term so no I think it's Cabrera for a while and then Lindor kind of following that up but you know <coughs> I'll have to edit that out sorry I'm still bad on this cold um but kind of a, a, along those lines though I, I yeah I. We don't know right now. I think you put it a good way. Where are the Indians going to be in it this year or not? Because they've been, they've been a little feistier than I expected. They're in second place in the in the Central right now. I didn't see that coming. So, you know, I don't think there's any need though to trade Cabrera in the short term because Lindor's not ready. So you you don't want to kind of create a uh, hole before you have a guy ready to to follow it up. Along those lines, kind of tying back into what we're talking about earlier. Anyway, are you surprised at all about Dorsus Paulino, the uh, the next Indian shortstop prospect behind uh, Lindor, who 
who's really kind of uh, had a rough go of uh, of, of low A this year. Uh, I was a little surprised. I expected he might struggle defensively, but I thought he was going to hit pretty well. And that's not really the yeah. case up to now. He's a, no, he's a really I, – I had no problem whatsoever with their assignment of him to low A. He's a really good hitter and just a guy who is his bad head stays in the zone forever, good bat speed, you know, mostly doubles power. But it, and now he doesn't even have – he's not even hitting doubles. <laughs> I think he has – last I checked, he had one extra base hit the entire season. I, I would have – you know, you expect some struggles for guys, um, you know, like him or, you know, Mazzara coming to, to low that, That's a little more surprising just because um, I don't think he's, you know, a good enough hitter to, to be able to handle that kind of competition. But the you're, you're seeing, yeah – with with him with Paulino, it's it is surprising. You know, I I think he's still a very good prospect, but for whatever reason, he's just seems to be in over his head. You know, yeah, like you said, defensively, I don't, I don't think he's a shortstop long term. I think he's almost certainly going to be a second baseman or a third baseman. But you know, his calling card ever since he signed has always been his bat. He's just a guy that you think is going to hit potentially be a three hundred hitter, get on base for you. You know, with maybe 15, 20 home runs a year, but right now he just—he—he's he, he, not showing any real signs of life at the plate. And you know, you can understand where a guy like Carlos Tochi with the Phillies, who's you know 17 years old in that league, or or, or Adalberto Mondesi, who's also 17 in that league with the Royals. You know, you can understand them struggling just because of how light of how thin and and light and you know, relatively weak they are just in terms of their, their present strength. Those are guys you would expect to struggle, but with Paulino, there's, there's a little bit more strength there with him right now, even if it's not, you know, big time loft power. Uh, I'm more surprised than, than any of those guys between, you know, uh, Mazzara or, uh, you know, because of the hit tool question marks with him or Tochi or Montessi just because of their, uh, you know, their, their lack of strength right now. I expected all those guys to go through their struggles with, with Paulino. I really thought he'd come out and hit, but he just hasn't at all. Yeah. And I, I'm with you. I don't, that's, a, that's been a, uh, uh, you know, a, a big surprise to me. So I, I don't, I haven't, I did not see that one coming. So, well, Ben, it's been a fun talking to you prospects with you as, as it always is. Thanks everyone for the download. You know, thanks. We'll be again, back again next week. We do this, post we do it recorded on thursday we post it every friday prospect handbook podcast before we go though we did want to remind you again draftday.com is a new concept that offers short-term or daily fantasy sports games for real money the concept is simple you pick the day you want to play and set a fantasy lineup if your picks perform well that day you win you can play for free or real money and they award cold hard cash nightly to the top performing players they've already awarded over 10 million dollars and it's completely legal to play DraftDay.com also has a new rapid-fire game that takes one minute to play with huge payouts. Just pick between a few choices of players and choose the ones that will score the most points. It's that easy. All you need is three of five correct to double your money. DraftDay is offering a special offer to Baseball America listeners, so head over to DraftDay.com and enter promo code BAPODCAST, and they'll start you off with a free instant cash bonus. If you like free money, head to DraftDay.com and use promo code BAPODCAST. Thanks again to DraftDay.com. Thanks again to all of you for the download. We'll be back again next week to talk prospects, fantasy baseball, and, and everything in the world of baseball, Baseball America. Thanks again.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.